Well, it is such an honor for me to be with you today. I have been wanting to be with you for 10 years, ever, ever since um, Eric and Ashley and Anna and Gray came. Boone wasn't even around yet. And uh, I have prayed for you guys over the years, and Eric and I have had countless conversations on the phone about just ministry and all kinds of things, and, and what an honor to be with you and, and uh, actually to actually meet Boone and to see the kids as they're growing up and, uh, and to just see your church and your spirit. You know, I, besides from Eric and Ashley, I've heard people say good things about this church. And, and what a wonderful fellowship it is. So just thank you so much for the chance to be here today. And, and uh, I feel uh, at home because uh, you guys have been on my heart for, for a long, long time. And, and even back in the booth, uh, uh, Nate and Sarah, you know, uh, Nate has run sound for me for a lot of years before they moved up here. I was joking before, and I said, I always, I always just take my sound man with me wherever I go. But, <laughs> but uh, no, he's, uh, they've made their life here. But it's really, really good to be with you today. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, my favorite passage of scripture by far because it helps us figure out how we're supposed to live. The Sermon on the Mount is not easy. There's portions of it where we read it and we go, oh man, I don't, I'm nowhere close to that. And other portions where we're really encouraged. But there's, there's a couple verses in there that I'm sure kind of hit you the way they hit me. They're, they're not the ones that are so challenging or the ones that are maybe so encouraging as ones that put a yearning in us. We, we read those verses, we say, oh, that's what I want. And I'm thinking specifically about uh, the sixth chapter, verses 25 and 34, where Jesus is talking about uh, you know, how we look at material possessions. And in Matthew 6, 25 and 34, he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And he goes on to say, you know, how the birds of the air, they don't plant and they don't harvest and they have all they need and the, the plants and how they're clothed. And he goes on and says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I go, oh man, that's how I want to live. I, I, I want to be able to say to you, um, I don't worry about tomorrow. I want to be able to say, I, I don't worry about what I'm going to eat. I don't worry about insurance premiums. I don't worry about any of this stuff. I'd like to say that, and uh, most of us would like to say that, but most of us probably don't find ourselves exactly there yet, right? Because uh, of the demands of life and, and the challenges of life. And in fact, that, that one, don't worry about tomorrow, I don't know if, you've, if you grew up reading the King James Version, it's even more powerful there where he says, take no thought for tomorrow. I always think, man, would that be something to live in the moment like that where uh, tomorrow, hey, if it gets here, cool. If not, cool, we're good. You know, take no thought for tomorrow. Now, that's kind of a loose translation. Literally, what it means is have no anxiety for tomorrow. Have no anxiety about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear. And, and how do we live that way with this, um, uh, you know, one of the words that's been capturing me lately is this spaciousness of life, this abandonment of life, this abandonment to, to have joy, uh, this abandonment to be happy regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what Monday looks like us, Th this abandonment to be able to have the capacity to love today. Like, not take no thought for tomorrow. I get to love today. Whoever crosses my path, I get to love that. I get to love God. This, this picture that Jesus paints of, of, no, no, anxiety is not supposed to be a part of your life. Now, this is the one who came in the flesh. God put on our humanity, and he knows he's going to the cross. He's not saying, you know, life is just easy. He, he is, the scripture says, the man of sorrows who bore our burdens. And yet he says to us, 
Don't have any anxiety about it. Don't, don't, don't put your energies into that. So how, how do we do that? Uh, I've got three steps to teach. No, we're not going to do that because we, we, we're, it's, it's a lifelong learning process. You know, there's not three steps, five steps, or seven steps on how to do this. But Jesus does give us some, some indications. Later on in this same book of Matthew, he tells a parable. It's one that if you've read the Bible much, you're very familiar with it. It's the parable of the, of the farmer who's going to plant his seeds. And uh, it's four things that he says happen. He says, the farmer went out to plant his seeds. And before he even plants, he says, some of the seed fell along the path. And and because it bounced on this hard, beaten down dirt path, it obviously didn't take seed. And he says, some of the seed uh, fell where the the soil was very, very shallow and rocky. So it it sprang up quickly, but then the sun scorched it. It didn't have real nourishment. And and some fell among the thorns and the briars, and, and, and it didn't bear fruit. And then some fell on really good soil. And, and, and so Jesus tells this parable, and he's done with it. And Jesus' parables, what I love about Jesus' parables is sometimes they're obvious, right? You, you know exactly what he's saying. He says it, and you go, oh, boy. Then other times he tells these parables, and you're going, what in the world was he talking about? And, and he doesn't explain it because he wants you to wrestle with that. I, I, I can just see sometimes where Jesus would tell his parables, and, and after the parables were done, everybody went, well, that was different. And they kind of went home and said, what was he talking about, you know? So there's this real mixed bag. But seldom did he explain them. But in this particular parable, where he talked about the four uh, soil types, uh, the hard ground, the rocky, shallow soil, the soil full of thorns and briars, and the good soil, he actually explained it. His disciples came to him and said, what, what was that? Why are you talking about that? What's going on? And so Jesus said, well, let me explain it to you. Um, I always wonder if Jesus kind of rolled his eyes at that point. You know, it's kind of like you know, when you tell a joke, and, and it's a great joke, and you get this blank look, and they say, I don't get it. And you say, well, if I explain it, it's not funny. Come on, you know. Uh, but I, I wonder if Jesus kind of rolled his eyes when they said, what are you talking about? Okay, he said, let me explain to you the parable, all right? And he, he talks about the, the seed that fell in the hard soil. And he says, that's, that's a seed that never took root at all. I mean, whatever it was, you know, he says, the seed is the word of God. The soil type is us. And wh- for whatever reason, uh, he says, the, the enemy snatched it away. Maybe there was lack of receptivity. Maybe there was a willfulness that says, I'm not going to listen to anybody but myself, but nothing happened there. Then he talked about the, the shallow soil, and he says, uh, sprang up quickly. Uh, these people made a good start. Wow, they were excited about this, and good things are happening right away, but there was no depth there. There was, there, there was no root system to take it down deeper and deeper. So it just couldn't last, the, the withering heat. And he, he said, that's, that's just someone who starts out good, but, but there's not enough depth for them to get through the hard times. They, they, he specifically said when persecution comes because of the word, when, when, when your life changes and, and you don't have depth, then, then it, 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 it chokes it out. Then we'll skip the third part. He goes to the fourth, and that's the good soil that real rich black peat moss kind of soil, you know, where the seed went down and the roots went deep and it grew high. And, you know, the psalmist calls that a tree planted by rivers of water with the deep roots. It gives fruit. And he says it produced 30, 60, 100 times. And so he's talked about those who never really, really accepted the word, those who were so shallow, didn't pursue the relationships with God, with Christ, and those who seem to bear much fruit. But in the middle of this, he talks about and explains the, 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 the seed that fell among the, um, 
you know, the, the, the thorns and the bushes. He says this, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, there's a couple things I, I want us to see about this that, that I've been kind of work with in my life. He says, um, the worries of life, we all know what those are. It's just stuff of life. Just going through life, you got to do this, you got all these responsibilities, and, and it's those lives that so many of us lead where instead of us controlling our calendars, our calendars control us. Instead of us ex controlling expectations for life, expectations of life are laid on us, and we're just going, 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 and, and, and we're, we're worried that it's not all happening right, and we're not doing it right. And uh, I, I don't know, if you're like me, sometimes when you have one of those days where it, it's kind of slowed down, you lay down at night and you say, what did I forget? What did I forget? I, life can't be this simple. It's, it's complicated. There's worries with this. You know, so he's talking about the worries of life. Then he says the deceitfulness of wealth. Now, a lot of people kind of mark that off. They think, well, if he's talking about materialism, that's, that's people who have a lot of money. That doesn't refer to me. No, he's not saying money. He's saying the deceitfulness of what's the deceitfulness of wealth? Well, the deceitfulness is um, my wealth is my security. Um, uh, if, if I had more, I'd be happier. If, if I could just get this accomplished, if I could just get this job or something like that, then I would like me. Then I would have contentment. He, he says these are all the lies that, that we're told that we run after. So we've got the worries of life and then the lies of those things we pursue. And here's what's very important for us to understand about this passage. He doesn't say that we just blow it off then. We're not like the seed planted in shallow soil that just gave up. And he says what happens is we keep going, but we don't produce fruit. He says it, it chokes it out, making it unfruitful. And if we're not careful, a lot of us as believers, we go through life and, and the fruit is not there, not because we don't care, not because it's not important to us, and not because we don't love Jesus, because we love Jesus. And, and we're trying so hard to serve him and, and do what's right. We have all these cares of life and, and, and all these things we're going after, and yet it feels like our, our life isn't producing fruit. And Jesus says when the cares of life and the lies about life choke things out, we don't we're not the ones who are chucking our relationship with God. We're just not bearing fruit. Now, what does he mean by bearing fruit? Well, the Bible always talks about two kinds of fruit bearing. It talks about those results from the things we do. You know, there's just, you do certain things in life and it, it bears certain kinds of fruit. But we also know that in the fifth chapter of Galatians, uh, the 22nd and 23rd verses, uh, where Paul talks about the fruit or the results of the Spirit living in our lives. And those are, you know, that, that wish list we all have, you know. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We read that and we go, oh man, man, oh man, oh man. That's what I want to be when I grow up. Oh, I want that so badly. I have a family in my church, and I just think this is so cool that every morning around the kitchen table, every morning for breakfast, the family quotes the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we know that the fruit of the Spirit is um, these things we want in our lives, but we also know because it's fruit, it's not something we manufacture. 
You know, it's not like I say, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to love, I'm going to have joy, I'm going to have peace, I'm going to be kind and gentle and faithful, and I'm going to have self-control. If we could do that, if we could force it, force our self-control, every one of us would have gotten up this morning, run three miles, eaten a healthy breakfast, and whizzed through the book of Leviticus before we got to church, if we had self-control. But we don't, okay? We, we, we can't force that kind of stuff. These are the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that when we allow the cares of life and the lies of life to choke us, those are the things that leave. Our joy, love, peace, patience. Oh, we all know that one. When we are overextended, patience. How about self-control? When do we have the least self-control? I'll just be honest, I have the least self-control at the times of greatest stress, at the times when I'm letting things crawl, when, when, when I'm listening to the lies, if I just do this, if I just do that, I, 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 the, the fruit is choked out. And Jesus said that when the cares of life and the deceitfulness of life, the deceitfulness of wealth comes in, it chokes out those things we want. So is it any wonder that when we read Jesus' words, you know, Take no thought for tomorrow. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow. It seems so elusive because the fruit of peace and joy is something we haven't experienced in a long time. I'll be real honest with you. I've gone through major portions of my Christian life being faithful to Jesus Christ, but if I was honest saying, I don't experience peace very regularly, I'm waiting for everything to be lined up right. Then I'll have peace. I'm, I'm waiting for everything to be good. Then I'll have joy. And that's the deceitfulness of circumstances, the deceitfulness of wealth. So Jesus is giving us this simple parable to say, very simply, he says the, the seed is the word of God and the, uh, the soil type is us, that maybe the first thing that I have to do as a Christian is cut down some weeds, cut down some thorns, cut down some bristles, get some of that stuff out of my life so it quits choking out the fruit that he will give me. I'm not supposed to manufacture love, joy, and peace. I'm supposed to get the junk out of the way that keeps blocking out and choking out, cho choking out love and joy and, and peace. So maybe that's where we start. One of the things about that is that um, we usually want to start on the outside. And are any of you into minimalism like I am? I'm always, yeah, I, I, I'm, I read all these websites about minimalism and, and sort of drive my wife crazy. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving uh, my, my ministry at the church, so I've got a big office there, and she had a little office there. We're taking a big office and a little office, and we're putting them in a real little office at our house, you know? And I'm just in the mode to throw everything in the world away, because that's what we minimalists do. And, and uh, we were talking on the way here about some of the stuff that the kids make, you know, when they're little. Uh, little things that, that we just save and save and save. And I said, there's a minimalist trick to that. You just take photos of all of them. It's all digital. It's on a thumb drive, and we can throw all this stuff away. And she said, I'm not ready to throw away the things that, you know, the kids handprint from kindergarten. So, you know, we, we can get carried away. But as minimalists, we, 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 we tend to start on the outside. Let's get rid of all this stuff. That's not a bad place to, to work, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about just getting everything on the outside. He's talking about uh, on this inside here. And what he's trying to teach us and what he says over and over and over, it's a, it's a powerful truth that we call simplicity, Christian simplicity, and that is that he wants 
our desires, our will to be minimalized, to be simplified. He wants us to get to the point where we desire him and that everything else falls into that. Eric, the, the first day that I met Eric, the very first day that I met Eric, we went out to lunch and he saw a book on my desk and we talked about that book and I still have that book. And you might not even remember, Soren Kierkegaard's Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. It was his most famous book. And if you read the whole book, I can sum it up. Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. The, the, the title kind of says the whole book. But what he's saying is, is this thing that we talk about holiness. Holiness is, is when there's only one thing we desire, and then all the extraneous stuff gets to become subservient to it. Following him, wanting his will, one thing. You say, well, i got to raise kids. Y yeah, and the kid raising all comes under, what do I want more than anything? God's will in my life, and it spills into God's will for my kid's life. I'm involved in ministry. Why am I doing ministry? Well, it should only be for one purpose, to just glorify God. Now, what about where I work? Just one purpose, to glorify God. What, what about my leisure? One purpose, to glorify God. See, when we simplify it down to wanting just one thing, and we allow God to keep doing that in our hearts over and over again, it's like we sang the chains fall on the floor because the deceitfulness of life isn't clamoring toward us. We just want one thing. That's all. One of the great spiritual writers of history, Meister Eichert, he used to say that our spiritual well-being is a lot more about subtraction than it is addition. It's getting rid of all the desires that we don't have to have. All of the things that our culture says to clamor for. It's about subtraction. And we subtract and subtract and subtract and get down to what is the one thing. Then he's able to give us everything he wants us to have. He's able to give us the fruit, the results of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace. And, and spiritual writers even talk about, uh, we talk about non-acquisition, you know, keep having to get stuff. But there's even this thing we call spiritual non-acquisition. First time I read that, I thought, that's a weird thing, spiritual non-acquisition. I don't have to acquire anything spiritually. I don't have to acquire good works. Well, I've done this and this and this. Has, am I pleasing God enough? Or, or I've accomplished this. Am I pleasing God enough? No, to give my heart fully to him, to want him only, then everything I do and everything you do becomes an outgrowth of love, and it all pleases him. And then he can put in our lives the fruit that will no longer get choked out, love, joy, peace, patience. And when we get to the point where we, where we desire nothing but him, he gives us everything, everything we could ever want. We say, I, I, you know, the, the, this culture cannot seduce me into saying, if you just get this, you'll be happy. If you just accomplish this, you'll be content. If you just get this happening, then you will like yourself because you've accomplished something. If we could just get rid of all of that, if we could just spread it out and just let the chains drop all down the path, then when we get to the point where we have nothing but him, then we know we've got everything. And that's what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, if we go back to that. He said, take no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink, what you'll wear. He says, tomorrow has enough problems of its own. I was, I've always been an anxious person. When I was a kid, even as a kid, I looked back and there was anxiety. My mom used to always say, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. 
I always thought my mom was so brilliant. And then I grew up and read it and found out she stole that from Jesus, you know? Uh, don't worry about tomorrow. It, all the stuff out of the way. And then he said, do this. Just seek him. And it's that great passage in the Sermon on the Mount, 633. But seek first this kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Amen. I remember I used to read this where people would read about, don't worry about what you will wear, don't worry about you know, what you will eat, uh, uh, seek first his kingdom, and he'll give you all that stuff. And they still read it in material things, you know? So okay, I'll just do God's will, and then he'll give me all the food I want, all the clothing I want. No, no, I'm still missing the point because they're still clamoring. We're still clamoring about the wrong stuff. That God, you know, he says, he says you, you seek first the kingdom and I'll give you everything I want you to have. When you have everything you, I want you to have, when the briars and the thistles are out of the way, you just get to bear fruit. And the fruit is all those things we so desperately desire the lack of anxiety about life, love and joy and peace, gentleness and kindness, self-control. Here we thought that was the result of a bunch of self-help books, and self-control is the result of getting rid of all the stuff that's clamoring for you and just wanting him. And when we have that, then we get to live in this, what I said at the original, at the, at the outset, this spaciousness, this, this, this abandonment. See, when I have the spaciousness of joy and I can abandon myself to joy, guess what? That means today I can abandon myself to loving people. I, I, I don't have to protect myself. I don't have to maintain my joy. I don't have to you know, maintain my happiness or my contentment. No, I, I, I don't have to worry about that because it's a gift from him. And then I get to just pour my life out. And you know what happens? If, if you and I just learn, and this is a process. This isn't the result of, of one Bible study or one sermon. This is a process of life we're going through. But if in this course of life we learn to keep letting go and we learn to live in the spaciousness and the abandonment of his joy and his love, you know what would happen? I mean, if, if, if I met someone who just loved with abandon, loved indiscriminately, and had a sense of peace and joy all the time, I would say, you know, he looks like Jesus. That's what I'd say. We live in a world where many times our culture looks at the church and the church doesn't look very much like Jesus because all this stuff is choking out the fruit. What this world desperately needs to see is Jesus. And to see Jesus, they need to see a church that loves with abandon and that loves to love and that finds its joy in serving. We find our joy and our abandonment in loving with no restrictions. Let me, let me pray with you today. If you're like me, you realize this is a journey, and I, 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 want, I want us to always realize that because it is a journey. This is not a sermon. This is not a switch that we will flick when we get home this afternoon. So let's pray for that journey. Heavenly Father, we come to you today so grateful for the, the manner in which you loved us. You didn't love any one of us with qualifications. You didn't say to any one of us, one of us I will love you if or I will love you when. <laughs> like the song we sang about the woman caught in the very act of adultery. You loved her then, right then, right now. And Lord, right now you love me and you love us right now. We don't have to earn it. We just have to receive it. 
We have to get the thistles out of the way that, that masks it so that we can't see it. And we need to live in the abandonment of your love and your forgiveness and your joy so that we can love with abandonment. Lord, help us to have nothing but you so that we have everything, everything you want us to have. Help us to take it down to the most essential thing so that in all things you give us the abundance that you have. And, and for this simplicity of the good news, we thank you and we pray that you will help us on this journey on so great a salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.